We have two scripture readings this morning, which I almost never do. Sometimes it's just uh, important that we read two places. So we begin with um, uh, that area, that scripture that we were dealing with a couple of weeks ago, First uh, Kings 16. First Kings 16, and I'm going to start reading at verse 31. And then we'll transition over to Joshua chapter 6. So, a couple verses here. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of Sidon. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar to Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, in his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho, laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. And then turning to Joshua chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 20. Um, and this takes place as the, the people of God had surrounded Jericho. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the, go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them in that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who try, who raises, who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with, it, with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. So we have in the first passage uh, this um, vague reference to these two boys, to uh, Abiram and Segub. After after the more understandable part of the passage where the Lord is talking about Ahab and Jezebel and his descent into abject 
Baal worship, then he makes reference to um, Ahab's evil. Uh, but then he skips to this these two verses in his days. Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. Uh, he laid its foundation uh, with Abiram, his firstborn, and his youngest son, Segub. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. And so we have this kind of confusing reference to um, to, to Hiel of Bethel. It doesn't really explain why it's evil to rebuild Jericho. But if we go back and read in Jericho, you find out more of why that is. And then he mentions the the, that the uh, uh, as, it, as they they reference or as they explain or the, as they talk about this Hiel of Bethel, they just say that he he laid it's the foundation of rebuilding Jericho. He laid with Abiram his firstborn and his youngest son Segub, uh, which is confusing until he says according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua the son of Nun. He doesn't tell us what that he doesn't re- repeat what that prophecy was, but he tells us that the rebuilding of Jericho or the attempt at rebuilding Jericho uh, began with uh, the uh, this vague reference to the, the his his firstborn being laid in the foundation and his his uh, last son, his old his youngest son uh, being uh, laid as he tried to build the gates. And so it doesn't explain here that the boys died. Both of these boys were, were, were killed in the building, this attempt at rebuilding Jericho. We don't know how successful they were. Um, it, it doesn't sound, it sounds like there was quite a disaster that took place for the builder, this, this Abiram. But what it illustrates is the exacting sovereignty of God how there are no details of God's prophecy that go unfulfilled, how God does everything that he said that he would do. And of course, this reflects on his promises to us in the gospel, that those are much more major. But here we see even the, even the, um, the obscure and the tangential things that God has spoken about come to pass. Now, if we turn to Joshua, the passage in Joshua, we see how this is explained because, but it, um, the prophet in First Kings doesn't explain this. He just, he, but he makes it very clear that this is tied. What he's saying is tied to the prophecy of Joshua. Now this reminds us, if we turn back to Joshua six, this reminds us that Joshua was not just a general. He was not just a leader like Moses who brought the people into the land, but Joshua was a prophet like Moses, who's a prophet like Elijah and Elisha, different in some ways, but nonetheless inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to speak to the people. And if you read through Joshua, you see how time and time again, God comes to him and he reveals new things to Joshua for the people of God, and then Joshua would relate them. So while Joshua was a great general and was a great military man and was blessed of God in terms of the conquest of um, uh, Cana or uh, a Canaan land, uh, he was also uh, a great prophet. And so in this sixth chapter, he makes a prophecy. 
Um, and um, he says at the end of at the end of the the burning of the city of Jericho, he says, "Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up uh, its gates." This goes back to the the whole understanding that we might have of Jericho. What was it about Jericho? Uh, I don't think Jericho was a city that was identified with evil. It's like Sodom. I mean, as much evil as a place like Sodom. But this was the first city that the children of Israel um, entered, encountered when they came into the land of Israel from the, the southeast. It was a it was a very heavily fortified city. It was a very significant city. It it lay in one of the great marvels of the world, namely the the lower Jordan Valley, where the Jordan flowed into the Great Salt Sea. And um, if you've ever been there, which probably most people haven't, um, I have one way. And why was a when I was a junior in college and went. Um, or I guess I was a, I was a, I was a, I was a rising summer, yeah, or fin- rising junior because it was the summer before my junior year. Uh, I went on a study seminar to Israel, and one of the places that we had on our schedule was Jericho, and we were going to spend the night in Jericho, and I'll never forget it. It's so different down there. It's it's eight or nine hundred feet below sea level. And as you get down there, the weather is totally different because of the, the depth into the earth that it is. It's very hot down there. And we, we went there. We had a hotel room, and uh, each of us had our own. It was, wasn't a large room, but it was a small room. And I'll never forget going to sleep that night because they had fans on, and they told us that despite our temptation to not take off our T-shirts as we slept because they said that they had ceiling fans, they said the evaporation would give you body cramps and things like that the next day. So they said it was better to just wear a T-shirt and uh, go to sleep and uh, and wake up. You might be a little bit sweaty, but you just uh, wash yourself off, you know, morning shower, bath, and uh, go about, you get dressed and go about your business. Um, but we um, we floated in the, 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 the Dead Sea, and uh, I got... As many people do, that you get a little salt on your lips and you say, yikes, I won't do that again. Because it's not just a salty taste, it's a, it actually burns. So you really protect yourself and your eyes. But Jer- I will never forget Jericho because it was such a different place. Well, it was a different place back then. It's been a different place ever since it was there. Uh, and in this case, the children of Israel came into that area of southeastern Israel because it's... Uh, you know, the Dead Sea marks sort of one of the southeast quarters or boundaries of, of Israel. And so they came in that way, and this was the first walled city that they encountered. And so God used the city of Jericho in a symbolic way. I mean, really, it was the first um, castle or the first uh, uh, fortified city that they would encounter. They couldn't, they couldn't uh, just... Pretend that these places didn't exist because forces could come up. They passed it by. Forces out of these cities could come out 
and assault their rear guard, and they could be surrounded very easily. So they had to deal with these cities. God had commanded them to take the land. Now, if you remember the whole story, God was sick and tired of the paganism of the whole world. And so it was his determination to begin to win the world back to the kingdom of God. He was going to win one, one area of the world first, and from there they were going to spread out and go into the rest of the world like we are today. And so Jericho was the first place. Really, it was uh, a place of Antichrist. It was a place uh, dedicated to all those things against which the Lord stands. And so it wasn't that they were any more wicked. Probably, I mean, the Bible doesn't say that they were more wicked than any other place. And so it's sometimes confusing to us as to why there would be such ferocity focused upon Jericho. But that's because it was the first place, and God ultimately exercised the same ferocity upon the whole land. He revoked the deed and the title to this part of the world that, the, that mankind had claimed. This is very significant to us as people. We have no inherent rights in this world other than those that God gives us. And if God gives us rights, if God gives us inheritances, he can take them back according to his will. It's very, very significant. Today there are two people, two, two groups that are battling for areas of the Middle East. Both of them have been dispossessed of their properties in the past. And neither of them has understood the, the lesson, really. Because both of them continue to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the, in the Gospels it says that, uh, that this, this, this issue will begin to be solved when the people who are there will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now who, who, is, who comes in the name of the Lord uh, but Jesus Christ? And so when the peoples of this part of the world uh, unite in their love of Jesus Christ, then all of their problems will be solved. But until that day, and that's the day in which we live now, there will be these continued problems that beset them. <clears throat> and so, the Jericho was a symbol of Antichrist, and it was a symbol of the anti-Christian world. It was a symbol of the pagan lands into which Israel was pouring at this time with her millions of residents. And so, as, Jer as uh, Jer Joshua uh, destroyed uh, Jericho, uh, he was inspired by God to, to utter this prophecy, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds the city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. That prophecy was a very, it's not like the prophecies in Isaiah where they're very complex, they build on one another, um, many people have tried to trace out the time from the prophecy to its fulfillment. In this case, it's rather an arbitrary, obscure prophecy. But as the book of 1 Kings was being written by a prophet in that day, that, uh, it made this reference to the fact that uh, in Ahab's day, he had uh, elected or appointed this man, this builder, uh, named Hiel of Bethel to, to build uh, Jericho, to rebuild Jericho. We know that Ahab built a number of cities. Ahab was a very wicked man, but he was also a fair, fairly talented man. 
He was a man like many people in this world. Uh, bankers who can build great companies, people like um, Zucker and uh, 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 I can't, I'm not going to run down a, a list of uh, the billionaires of our day, but he was a man. He was very, very talented, even though he's wicked. And God often allows these men to have a sort of prosperity in this world. He does not always work out his eternal justice immediately upon the main players in current history, wherever that history is. And so Ahab had elected this man who was a successful builder. He was probably a man who was quite ingenious to go down to Jericho in all the heat there and all the the different uh, geological dimensions of that place to rebuild the city like it was uh, before Joshua and the people of Israel had raised it to the ground under the command of God. <clears throat> and so we see here, and the symbolism of this has to do with the, the kingdom of God and the reversal God was in the in the business of taking this part of the world and and in introducing the kingdom of God there in that part of the world. Ahab totally dismissed this to the degree that he even married one of the Canaanite princesses that, that was under uh, a father who worshipped Baal there, at one of the main Baal worship places there, uh, Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And uh, Ahab even went and took a wife from them and then went and, and purposed to, to totally seduce northern Israel. Now he did, he, uh, the effect of this was deadly for northern Israel and ultimately God ordained the Assyrians to come and take them away, to, take, to dispossess them of the land just like he uh, did to Israel uh, in, um, <clears throat> later on and uh, as he had done to the Canaanites before them, but uh, out of this out of this um, landing area, as I call it, or this beachhead for the Lord's conquering the whole world, out of that we we do see consequences that lasted from this time even unto our own. We see the rise of of the kingdom of God. We see how even though the earthly dimensions of that failed to many degrees back uh, in the times of Jesus, yet Jesus was born. And we see the Messiah coming, and we see the Messiah raising up a new kingdom that would be even more formidable, not necessarily in military strength, but in terms of earthly significance. And we are part of that uh, inheritance even today. So, um, um, if, you, if you follow through the points of the Sermon on the Bulletin, uh, we've worked our way down to uh, to number four and number five, and uh, we don't we don't know for sure how the boys died, but we know that they died, and that we know that because of the way these two scriptures fit together. the 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 prophet of First Kings mentions this, ties this down like a footnote to this earlier prophecy of Joshua, and. And uh, he doesn't even have to explain it because Joshua ex had explained that the two boys would be killed. And so you can have the billionaires of this world like the, the high elves of Bethel. You can have them, they can do their things, but God will uh, receive his due in the midst of what they've done. 
and uh, and uh, we cannot escape it. Like we read in, like we just sang in Psalm one thirty nine a. Where shall I from thy spirit flee, or from thy presence hidden be? In heaven thou art, if there I fly, in death's abode, if there I lie. And so God had said this; He had made this prophecy through Jer- uh, through Joshua, and uh, Hiram or Ahiel probably didn't know that much about it, or if he did, he may may very well have been told about the prophecy of Joshua, but he dismissed it. That's just just fable. It's it's of no consequence whatsoever. And so he went went into the venture, and because he went into the venture, God took his oldest and his youngest sons, and his family was never the same uh, after that. Well, how do we apply this today? To ourselves, I think it's it's just one of the. I'm I'm really I the reason I came to preach from this text is I like I saw this when we went through First Kings 16 the first time I saw this text and I just thought it's it just stands out because of its obscurity it it begs for my attention and so I kept looking thinking and reading about it going back and uh, reading the Joshua text trying to fit the two together and uh, they're both obscure, and yet they, they fit together in an ironclad way. That God And it teaches us that God does work out his determinations, his, whole, his own holy will. He works those out or that out in, uh, in a perfect and efficient way. And there's no escaping it when the Lord does these things. We see strange things today where we can say, well, certainly we we know because they're happening, we know that they're part of God's will. And then we see in their happenings, we see we see where we can, even though we don't know for sure, we can say, well, this may be the what God is doing here and or that may be what God is doing there. And uh, I think of of the great trial that's going that's trying to get started down in Atlanta with this district attorney that that uh, brought a, a part of the law to bear, much like was done in New York, that had never been brought to bear before. So we all we ought to always be suspicious when kings do totally novel things and apply the law in totally different ways. It's usually a sign that there's wickedness uh, uh, afield. But uh, she's going about this. So, so many people thought this is just crazy. It makes no sense. But she was going, she was going for it. She had all the inertia in the world. And then suddenly a little story creeps out about her affair with the, with the main lawyer that has been chosen to prosecute this case. He'd never prosecuted a felony before. Strange thing. Uh, and then it became a, a apparent that they were having an affair. Of course, these things are all still being worked out in the court. She's under, uh, she's under scrutiny now by the court. And, uh, but it looks like, um, whereas she had no opposition at all before, now it looks like her whole case is just falling apart and she's becoming, uh, she becoming her, she's probably going to become an epitaph, uh, a, a monument to foolishness. Uh, even though she looked like she had all the earthly power and the ability to do what she wanted to do. Um, And so we see things like that happening in our world, and praise be to the Lord, because the church doesn't have that much earthly power in terms of armies, or we we hardly have uh, 
guards to guard our buildings. Some of the bigger churches will hire a policeman, a retired policeman or somebody like that to take care of the properties at night or when th big things are going on. But the church does not have that much power in the flesh, in our hands. But it has great power behind the scenes because the Lord himself looks down upon us, as it says here in Psalm 139. Uh, Hiel should have said to himself, Where shall I from thy spirit flee? Jo Joshua has made a prophecy about this. How can I even begin to consider rebuilding this city that stood for paganism, that, that God had, uh, had taken down? How could I even dream of rebuilding a city like that? And so, but he didn't. And, uh, and there is no place to flee from the Lord when we oppose his uh, efforts. What is the, uh, most of the rulers of this world are there are opposing the efforts of the kingdom of God. They, they, they give the, sh the church no uh, uh, quality whatsoever, no, no uh, consideration really whatsoever. Uh, it's very rare and it seems like very limited circumstances. And the, so many of the cultural leaders around the world, they will, if they can, jump upon any opportunity they have uh, to seize whatever wealth the church has, whether it's real estate or it's glory. And they, they, they love to jump upon the church and, and make, um, make their hay through her grasses. And this is the kind of thing that they ought to be fearful of because the Lord, despite not controlling any armies or any major banks or currencies or anything like that by which the world considers its power, without any kind of control like that, we see how the Lord perpetuates his church. He continues to promote it. That continues to grow. We, we grumble and we complain about the church and how weak it is and how we see flaws here and flaws there. And yet the church continues to grow. And we, we're, we're fools if we dismiss the church and say, well, the, the, the church, because of its flaws, is of no consequence whatsoever. No, the church is of the greatest consequence. And you who sit here today are very wise people for committing yourselves to the church, giving giving honor to the Lord on the Lord's day, bringing your tithes and your offerings into the church to support it uh, year by year, month by month, week by week, because you believe in the prophecies of the living God. Um, if we turn to Jesus and Jericho, uh, we see two great illustrations of what happened in this place as time went on. Um, in, um, in Mark 10, 46, we read, And now they came to Jericho, as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many who warned him to be quiet but he cried all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He had made the connection between Jesus the Messiah and Jesus the Son of David. So Jesus stood still, the Bible says, and commanded him to be called. They called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, he's calling you. Throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. 
So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. So in the same city where Joshua had come and destroyed it, and where Ahab had attempted to build it, now the Messiah Christ comes, and he heals the blind bar of Timaeus instantaneously, miraculously, so that all could see that he was the true Messiah, and that his kingdom was substantial and full. It was bursting with power. Similar story in, um, in, in Luke 19, 1 through 9. Uh, in, that pa- in that passage, it says that uh, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector there, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short. He was a little guy. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. There is a rich tax collector climbing a tree so that he might see uh, the Messiah. Uh, For he was going to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Again, as Jesus passed through Jericho, you can be sure that he remembered Joshua. He remembered that this was the very first part of the land that was conquered in the, in the reconquest of the whole world. And as Jesus was involved in that reconquest in a new and significant, amazing way in his day, so... He applies that to his daily efforts and and pronounces the one man healed of sight and the other man a bona fide member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank thee so much for the scriptures, how intricate they are, how definite they are even in their obscure places. We thank thee most of all, O Lord, that our Lord Jesus came and walked these same places and his ministry extended to them and beyond. So we praise thee for for, uh, Zacchaeus. We praise thee for blind Bartimaeus. We praise praise thee for the Lord Jesus Christ. As Psalm 139 sings, the omniscience of the mind of God was in our Lord Jesus Christ in terms of his divine nature. We praise thee for this, O Lord, and we pray that we would not hold back Jesus for our lives. We pray that we would put up no fences, no obstacles. We pray just the opposite. Come, Lord Jesus, come, first of all, into my heart and into my life. Make me part of thy great kingdom, this kingdom which is destined to overtake the whole earth, and then go and be a part of the new heavens and the new earth forevermore. 
Bless us, O Lord, in thy begotten, thine only begotten, thy fully beloved Son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.